Over the grave 
You know, I love that song because it really just speaks to the truth of who God is. It's really the story of the gospel. You know, we kind of live in a day and age where that word truth kind of gets stretched and construed and, and warped in so many different ways. But I can tell you the truth of the gospel, nothing is truer than that. Jesus says in the Bible, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that means that Jesus is the source of truth. We want to know what is true in this life and in this world. We need to look no further than Jesus. He is the truth. And so I think there's so many things that vie for us to get off that road. And, and Pastor James is going to talk about that some more this morning. But I just say, you know what? There's something special when we just get together in a room and wish with one voice declare the truth of God over our lives over this nation and over this world. Because there's no greater name than Jesus. And we all have stories of how he's impacted our lives and how we've come face to face with that truth. And maybe you're not there yet, and that's okay. Maybe you're just exploring out this truth. But I can tell you there is nothing truer and there's nothing more life-transforming than the power of Jesus. And so I just say, let, let's just be in his presence. Let's just worship him. Let's just invite him to move in this place. And let's focus on his truth, the truth, his gospel, and who he is. Let's continue to worship together.
Father, we worship you in these moments. Let's not rush out of these, but to just be. Father, we worship you. Because yours is the name above all names, Jesus. We're so thankful for you. Just pray that you'll be with Pastor James as he delivers this word, Father. Let us receive it with an open heart. we lean into you. We worship you in these moments. Give you all honor, all glory, and all praise. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Southern Fields. It's good to be back in the saddle again. It's, uh, during the summertime, it's good to take a break every now and then and, and get out. And, uh, and uh, the Peppers uh, helped us out with that. And uh, we had a great weekend uh, out together. And so it's good to be back again. We, uh, I've been using the term balance a lot. You've, if you've heard me speak, you've heard me talk about the word balance and how important balance is in life and how important uh, balance is and how we do and navigate this life that we uh, are living. And balance can uh, be the difference between uh, walking a tightrope and falling off to your death. Balance is what keeps us from being out of whack at church and at home and at work and in relationships. Balance comes into play when we begin to look at the next church that's on our list for our started home a session of Revelation. When you hear the word balance, what comes to mind? What are the images that come to your mind when you hear the term balance? When I, when I, when I hear the, the, the term balance, the, the image that comes to my mind are the scales of justice. And maybe you remember that there's a picture up there, the scales of justice. Uh, that comes to mind because I think about this idea of if justice is supposed to be balanced and, and when we go and we seek justice, we want a judge and a jury to kind of think balanced and have a balanced view of what justice is and everything like that. And now let me give you a little bit of more insight into who I am. I, I'm a fan, a fan of Judge Judy. Now, now, I know some of you would ask the question, how can you be a fan of Judge Judy? I've been known to DVR some of her episodes. Now, now Judge Judy uh, uh, has been around for a long time. She's, she's the highest paid person on television. She makes something like 50 or $60 million a year. That's why she won't retire. Would you retire? <laughs> she won't retire. And so I've been known to DVR some, some Judge Judy uh, uh, episodes and, and watch them kind of as a, as, a, as a guilty kind of pleasure kind of a thing. Anyway, I love the new opening to her show because in the new opening to her show, she is pictured as the justice person holding the scales, uh, the scales of justice and putting her finger on it to tip the scales. So, I mean, she... I, I like Judge Judy, and so every now and then I will, I will go home and I will take the, the DVR and I will go uh, on YouTube TV and watch Judge Judy. Balance is important in life. 
So as we continue this stay at home part, first part of our Revelation series, which will go for three summers, we're going to look at a church where balance was the problem. So just in case you weren't here for the first couple of messages, I'm going to remind you what Jesus has been saying to the churches. Remember, Jesus uh, says to John, John, write what is and what will be. And so we start with what was, what is, and what is, is those churches, those seven churches that were in Asia Minor who were going through a very difficult time because the government was on their case. They were being persecuted. They were going through it. And Jesus is writing to that church and so the first church we looked at was the church in Ephesus. It was a busy church doing all kinds of good things, all kinds of great things, but they were so busy that Jesus reminded them to put first things first. And if you've not been here during this Revelation series, what I've said is we like to focus on all kinds of different things in the book of Revelation, but the main thing is Jesus. The main thing is the lamb who was slain. And so he says to the church of Ephesus, even though you're doing all these great things and you're busy, you got all kinds of good stuff going on, don't forget to keep the main thing the main thing. He says to the church in Smyrna, a suffering church, a church that was going through all kinds of suffering. He says to them, in your suffering, look up and look out. In other words, I'm with you. I know it seems like, I know it seems like that the people against the church and, and the Roman government is going to win the day. But understand, don't just look in your situation, look up and look out. And then he says to Pergamum, this confused church. He says to them, recognize that your doubts grow out of your relationships. In other words, who you hang out with is going to either take and clarify the truth or going to make you doubt the truth. And so he says to them, recognize that your doubts grow out of your relationship. So this morning, we want to look at the church of Tyre, Tyre, I'm pronouncing that wrong. They are Tyre, excuse me. And we want to look at that church because he is saying to that church, balance. So turn with me to Revelation 2, 18 to 29. And uh, if you don't have it in your, on your phone or your iPad, it's going to be on the screen. Listen to this. This is, by the way, is the longest letter that's been written so far. Write this to Tyre, to the angel of the church. God's son, eyes pouring fire blaze, standing on feet of furnace fired bronze, says this. I see everything you're doing for me. Impressive. The love, the faith, the service, the persistence. Yes, very impressive. You get better every day. Now, if he would have stopped there, that would have been great. Guess thing, if he would have stopped there, that would have been the great church. I mean, they got the love thing going on, the faith thing, service, persistence. They got everything going on. He's impressed with them. But then it goes on and says, but. Now, I learned a long time ago when someone makes this great complimentary statement and says, but, that what's coming after is probably more important than what preceded it. He says, but. Why do you let that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet mislead my dear servants into cross-denying, self-indulging religion? 
I gave her a chance to change her ways, but she has no intention of giving up a career in the God business. I'm about to lay her low along with her partners as they play their sex and religious games. The bastard offsprings of their idol whoring I'll kill. And then every church will know that appearances don't impress me. I x-ray every motive and make sure you get what's coming to you. Whoa. Whoa. I mean, that's a mouthful there. Hey, you know that, that Jesus only gets upset. That when you see in the Bible where Jesus gets upset, he usually gets upset in this one situation where people who call themselves Christians are leading other folks who want to be Christians, other baby Christians, people who want to be Christians astray. It was what happens when he went into the temple and started driving out the money changers. The money changers were leading people astray, people who wanted to be to God, people that wanted to connect with Christ. They were leading them astray, and Jesus would have none of it. And so in this situation, again, you have a situation where this group in the church of Thyatira are leading people astray. And then he says, the rest of you Thyatirans who have nothing to do with this outrage, who scorn this playing around with the devil that gets paraded as profundity, be assured I'll not make life any harder for you. Then it is already. Hold on to the truth you have until I get there. Here's the reward I have for every conqueror, everyone who keeps at it, refusing to give up. You'll rule the nations with your shepherd king rule as firm as an iron staff, their resistance fragile as clay pots. This was the gift my father gave me, and I pass it along to you, and with it the morning star. Are you awake, ears awake? Listen, listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. So what does Jesus say to a tolerant church? That's what the church of Thyatira is, a tolerant church. He says, stay uncomfortable with all that violates scripture. Stay uncomfortable with all that violates scripture. Let me give some background to this, this city. This city where the, this church is located was on an important trade route. Most of the trading went on there was a growing type of trade. It, it was almost like they had come out of recession and, uh, and the economy was rebounding. And so the, the economy was rebounding. The, it, it, the, the economy was on the way up. And so in this period, uh, when this text is written, they're, they're going through this economic turn up, right? But there was a hitch. In order for uh, the people of Daratara to be a part of this economic boom, in order for them to get in on this good money, on these good finances, and this growing economy, they had to be a member of a trade guild. A trade guild was something like a union. Now, I'm not going to beat up on unions today because there were some differences between a union and a trade guild. Trade guilds were a melting pot, a melting pot of what you did for a job, how you related to government, your own economy, and your own theology. There was this weird, weird melding together of theology, of economics, and of government. Now, you know, when you put those three together and you shake them up, there's going to be problems. In fact, some of the coins 
that the archaeologists and the historians have found that dated back to that day had a weird picture of it, a picture of a godlike figure shaking hand with the emperor, Caesar. So in order to, to survive, not just thrive, in order to survive in that economy with a good job and a good wage in those days, you had to be part of this trade guild. And the problem, it, which, which, which wouldn't have been that bad, which would have been all right, except for, except for that if you were a part of this trade guild, you had this same alliance between government and religion and politics. And so if you're a member, it all bled together. For example, a, a, a member of this trade guild was forced to attend these conventions. And they were forced to attend these convention after parties where after the convention was over, when you went to the after parties, it was a Las Vegas slash Playboy Mansion-like atmosphere. And so you can imagine that these people who had given their lives to Christ, who were just trying to live their lives, who were just trying to, to be a part of, of a growing economy, had to make a choice. They, had to, they were giving their lives to Christ. They wanted to be about Christ, but they had to begin to compromise to be a part of this trade guild, to be a part of this economic boom. I think you can see how this would pose a problem for these people of God. They were all about Christ, had made decisions for Christ, and yet, in order for them to make it, in order for them to thrive, they were getting sucked into this guild with all of its immorality. Can you see any parallels today? Are there any alliances in our culture where a job or financial security or well-being in a, in a, in a, on a team or at a job or whatever the case might be might force you to compromise some things about who you are and what you believe in Christ? Ever been to a company convention and been to a party afterwards? Ever been in the situation where you do a bar, kind of a, a, a some time at the bar after the meeting? Many times the deals don't happen at the conference table. Many times they happen at the bar or many times they happen on a golf course or many times they happen at the Christmas party where people throw caution to the wind. And so that's, this is what this church was in. They were doing all these great things, love and faith and persistence and all of this kind of stuff, but they had this issue of the trade guilds. And it was forcing them to say, I, I need to give a little on this, on this part of my theology. I need to give a little of, of this on my faith so that I can get by and so that I can survive in my job, in my neighborhood, at my school, on the team. Here's the problem with all of that. Everybody starts with a little bit of truth. And that's what happened at this church. They knew the truth. They were doing faith. They were doing love. They were doing persistence. They were doing all those things. But, but they started uh, with this understanding of truth that over time, as they began to tolerate more and more stuff so they could get along, to get along, right? So they could, so they could 
make it in this economy so they could reap the the resources of this economy. They started to compromise on things and tolerate some, some of the changes of the culture had imposed on the church. Verse 20 says it like this, but why do you let that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet mislead my dear servants into cross-denying, self-indulging religion? Circle the word in that passage, let. Circle the word let. We could say something like this. We might use the word tolerate. We might use the word stand for. We might use the word put up with or endure or accept or stomach. Why do you let this happen? Let me start by saying that there are many people who see this re reference to Jezebel as, as talking about one person, one real person in that church that were leading people astray. Others believe that that. Jesus talking about this spirit of Jezebel, Jezebel being an Old Testament character, and we'll get back to her later. I, I tend to go with the spirit of Jezebel idea, where those in the church who were pretending to be wise, who were pretending to be worldly, were living in their lies and rebellion. It goes something like this. I know in the day we used to have these rules and these principles and these regulations, but we've evolved. We're bigger than that. We're, we're not going to be tied to these, this old school religion. We're not going to be tied to these old Bible ideas, these old commandments. We, we've made it. We've evolved. We have grace. And they begin to set up that scenario, and that was leading people astray. And so Jesus's question was, why do you let her fool you and lead you into idolatry? This idea of worshiping other gods. I like the word tolerate and tolerance, so I'm going to use them. What does it mean to tolerate? In this context, to tolerate means this, getting comfortable with things that we should be uncomfortable with. Getting comfortable with things that we should be uncomfortable for, with if we're part of the church. Some things are just uncomfortable, right? Bad relationships, bad ethics, bad morality, bad theology. What happens when we experience just a little bit of bad theology, just a little bit of bad ethics, just a little bit of bad character? What happens when we begin to just ignore some things, to let some things go, to let some things slide. This is what this church was beginning to do. And so they were tolerating some bad teaching. And it was coming from this group, this group who described as Jezebel. In the Old Testament, Jezebel was this queen, this queen that single-handedly led the, the whole nation into worshiping another god, Baal. Even though they knew that God's commandment is that you should have no other God before me. That God was a jealous God. And, and so Jezebel led the whole nation astray into worship of Baal. And so there was a person in this church, a group of people in this church in Revelation that had this spirit that that. People were, were kind of doing the same thing that Jezebel had done. And Jesus says about her, I'm about to lay her low along with her partners as they play their sex and religious games. Some might say, well, Jesus is a little hard on her, right? 
After all, what's wrong with a little bit of bad theology? What's wrong with a little bit of bad ethics or morals or, or a little bit of bad character? I mean, a little fudging on taxes here so I can get a bigger tax break so I can tithe it? <laughs> a little bit of misquoting the Bible? You know, God helps those who help themselves? It's, here it is. It's always just a, a, little, a little move from the truth. A, a, a little, a little lie, a little deception, just a little bit, a little bit being enough to lead people astray. I mean, after all, they're doing all the right stuff. I mean, love and faith and service and persistence, they're impressive. I mean, couldn't they give a little bit on the minor stuff? Jesus says no. Maybe if we gave them some discipleship training. Maybe if we brought them in and gave them a little bit of a talking to and then let them move on. Maybe they were just misunderstood. But, but how do we know they're not misunderstood? Because Jesus speaks to this. He, he speaks about some of the actions of this group, a misuse of scripture. A danger of false teaching is they use enough scripture just to be dangerous. She, this group grabbed authority. They made themselves prophets and prophetess. They weren't given the description. They made themselves. They said, hey, we got enough. We can, we can give our own titles. We can assign our own titles. They refused to repent. I mean, Jesus says, I, I've given you a chance to change. I've given you a chance to turn around. They said, no, we're not repenting. And then the thing that's is the worst is the spiritual elitism. We know better. We've been around longer. We're more worldly. We're not tied to that old time religion stuff. So how do you make sure that you don't fall into the tolerance trap when it comes to sin and the culture how do we make sure we don't fall into that trap? Here's the way you make sure you don't do that. You balance tolerance with truth. Go ahead and write that down. You balance tolerance with truth. Revelation 2, 24 to 25 says, The rest of you Thyatirans who have nothing to do with this outrage, who scorn the playing around with the devil that gets parade his profundity, be assured I will not make your life any harder than it already is. Hold on to truth. You have until I get there. The word here indicates this long-term commitment. This is not a sprint. This is not something that starts in, in a moment and, and is over. This is not being at the Olympics and running the 100 yard or, or the 400. This is the marathon kind of a thing. He's saying to them, don't just hold on truth for a little bit. Keep on holding on to truth. Keep on in the right direction. Don't compromise truth it's so easy to spend focus so much on winning the race or winning the battle and losing the war. And when, we, when those things, truth and tolerance, get unbalanced, we have a tendency to win a battle but lose the war. It's, the warfare is not just a single battle. The challenge is for every believer to stay the course, every belonger to stay the course to follow Jesus the whole way, to hold on. Now, there are times 
when all of us get to a place of not knowing what the rules really are. Because in society, sometimes the rules kind of change. You know, there are things that we thought were terrible at one point, and now they're just commonplace. So, so how, do you, how do you know? How do you know? How can you be assured what the rules are? There are some Christians who draw a very hard line about what you should and should not do. I can remember growing up in the church, and the big issue for Christians in the church when I grew up, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, was going to the movies. Now, of course, nobody, you guys, you're going to the movies. It was going to movies, and then dancing. Dancing was the other one. Dancing and going to the movies were the big things. And some people back then would say, a dancing foot and a praying knee can't be on the same leg. <laughs> Ever heard that one? I mean, that, those two things can't exist together. Tony Campolo, author and writer, would, would say that, you know, we couldn't go to dances. He grew up in the Baptist church. We couldn't go to dances back in the day. And he said, so we would go on hay, hay rides instead. And he, and he said, we would have the wagon and the hay and somebody would be strumming the guitar. And in the front of the wagon, they were singing, do Lord or do Lord or do remember me. And in the back of the wagon, they were doing what they were saying they weren't doing. It, 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 it was that thing. And, and, and at college, when I, and this it landed, lasted to college. College, we couldn't go dancing, so we would go bowling. You know, bowling, key word for what? Dancing. So we'd go bowling instead of dancing. And, and so someone asked you where you were going to RA or resident assistant or something like that. You say we're going bowling. Now, of course, I didn't do any of that, but I heard of people who did stuff like that. How do you avoid the temptation of becoming monks and locked away somewhere trying to hold tight to truth? That's, that's one extreme. None of us want to do that. How do we not allow ourselves to be locked up in cage while holding fast to God's standards? You know, it's easy for us to lose balance. Here are some of the ways that we can become in balance. Number one, write this one down. One would be truth without tolerance. That's legalism. Truth without tolerance is legalism. You can, you can call it faith without fun. You can call it saints without smiles. Uh, these, this, this was the era of the Pharisees. I mean, they knew truth. They had it down to a science. They had yardsticks to measure the truth. The problem was they hated people made in the image of God. I mean, they, they, they had it all down. They, they did everything. Jesus talks about them. Jesus has his most devastating critique for Pharisees. Because he felt like if you have truth without tolerance, that you are keeping people from being in the kingdom of God. And here's the problem with that truth without tolerance. The position is so deceptive. One can be a rule keeper a spiritual list maker, a church attendee, and still not have a re right relationship with God. It looks so good on the outside. It looks like they got everything together on the outside, but on the inside, uh, legalism is a system that suffocates and kills. Jesus talked about it. He said, you Pharisees, 
You're like whitewashed sepulchers. You gotta be to, gotta be to a different part of the world to see these things. They were these kind of caskets that were made out of concrete or stone and, and they prettied them up. They painted them. They whitewashed them. They looked great. They looked pristine. And he said, but you're, when you open the, when you open it up, there's a bunch of dead men's bones. And he said, Pharisees, you're like that. It's like a, a, a evangelist that would come to my church. We had an evangelist that would come to my church. His name was John Caton. John Caton. And John Caton could preach. I mean, John Caton could shuck the corn off the cob preach. I mean, he was really, really good. But John Caton's problem was, uh, was me. Because I would be in the back pew trying to look cool with my friends, right? Trying to look cool with my friends, got my arm around my girlfriend, and, and John Caden would stop in the middle of the message. I mean, he'd be red and yelling, and, and he would stop in the middle of the message and say, young man, you might be impressing that young lady, but you're not impressing the Lord. Get up here with an adult. It's like, Dag, he called me out. And if it was just one time, that would have been something. But it, it's almost like every time he came, I remember another time, and I don't know why these indelibly marked in my head, but I remember another time I'm sitting back and a friend of mine pinches me and I, I yell and he said, young man, you need some attention. I'm going to give you some attention. Come up here. <laughs> Do you think I heard a thing he said during that whole revival? I heard that part. And, and I don't think that was the part he wanted me to hear. I think... He wanted me to hear the gospel that he was preaching. Truth without tolerance is legalism. Now, just so we don't forget something, there's imbalance the other way as well. The second way, write this down, is tolerance without truth. That's liberalism. Tolerance without truth is liberalism. It's, it's, this, it's, this, it's the idea that almost anything or anything goes. It's that kind of position. The problem with this position is it overlooks the seriousness of being out of relationship with God. It overlooks the seriousness of sin. The position is hard-pressed to, to call anything bad. It's this idea, if it feels good, if it feels good to you, if you think it's good, if it feels good, then it's good. Let's just live by what we think and what we feel. And if that's what we think and that's what we feel becomes a standard, then anything that we feel or anything that we think must be true. And it's this idea that I decide what truth is. And what my experiences and what my political leanings are and what I have, have experienced and what, what I've done, that's truth. And that's where we are today. One side says this is truth and one side says this is truth. And, and we're all over the place and everybody has truth. The problem with that is, is, is the problem of Jesus saying to folks, I am the truth. That's what got him crucified. I am the truth. First of all, he said, I am. There's some theologians in the room. What is God called? God was called the great I am. And when Jesus said, I am, he was saying, I am God. And they could not stand it. But then when he said, I am truth, I am the life, I am the way, no one. It's what the problem with the culture is today. 
We don't like that exclusivity. We don't like Jesus saying, I'm the only way. He says, no one comes to the Father but by me. Oh, James, but that's so exclusive. That's so, yeah, yeah. See, if we're not careful, if we do the tolerance at the expense of truth, if we do that, we, we begin to make compromises sound a little bit like this. Well, God wants me to be happy. And I can't be happy living this way, so I'm going to live this way. And because God wants me to have, be happy, he'll understand. Or, or, or uh, there was a time when I considered that to be something that was off. But, hey, now I've grown. I've matured. I, I'm, I'm smarter now. I'm more intelligent now. And so I don't, that, that doesn't bother me anymore. Well, no one's perfect. I know I'm in deeper than I planned, but what's the big deal? Someone said it this way. We can be so open-minded that our, that our brains just fall out. <laughs> Everything goes. Everything's good. Everything's truth. The problem with tolerance grouped with liberalism is that the compromises that start smooth get bigger and bigger and bigger Someone after first service said this to me. I love this metaphor. I'm going to steal a toter. I would that uh, that when she was growing up, there were, the pastor talked about these chairs on the stage. So you have one chair here, and maybe maybe uh, two feet away is another chair, and two feet away is another chair, and the church is here, and the world is here, and there's a chair in the middle. And 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 she said the, the pastor says what keeps on happening is this: the the chairs stay the same distance apart, but they just keep moving to the left. And everybody can say, I'm the same distance apart. I'm not close to the world, but they, they just keep on moving to the left. <laughs> same distance. We can be good about it. So if we just compromise by saying that, you know, whatever goes, we, we totally mess it up. So how do we do it? So how should we live? If we don't want to live in this idea of truth without tolerance and we don't want to live in with this idea of tolerance without truth, how should we live then? What should we do? Truth with tolerance. That's balance. You can write that down. We see this example in the life of Christ. One day, Jesus is walking down the street, and, and suddenly he almost trips over a body that some guys have thrown there in his path. She's a woman. She's undressed. And Jesus looks into the face of the angry men who have the mob who have brought her there and says, what's the problem? And they say, this woman, this woman, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. And I can imagine Jesus looks up and says, well, where's the guy? Where's the guy? I mean, did she, did she do adultery on her own? So you know what was going on from the very beginning. The guy's not there, but the woman is thrown in his way. And, and they say to him, she's a lawbreaker. And the law says she should die. And that is truth. The law said she should die. That's truth. And they start to pick up their rocks. They're going to kill her right in front of Jesus. See, this these, these Pharisees, these leaders were representing truth without tolerance. On the other end of the spectrum, some people would say, just let her go. 
It was just one time. It's their first offense. Let her go. What's the big deal? But Jesus always found balance. He shows compassion but not, by not allowing her death, but he took seriously her lifestyle. Listen to what he says. Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. That's where a lot of us stop it. Go on your way. I don't condemn you. They didn't condemn you. Go on your way. No, no, no. He keeps on going. And from now on, don't sin. That's truth and balance and tolerance balanced. So you ask yourself a few questions. So how do we find this balance? Here's the application part. How do we know when to stand? How do we know grace and truth? How do we do this? You begin to ask yourself a few questions that serve as filters to making these decisions. Question number one, is this a major issue or a minor issue according to the Bible? Not according to what I feel, not according to what I think, not what my mother told me, not what someone else told me. Is it a major or minor issue according to the scripture? You know, so much in the church, we can major or minor issues. Forget, forget about the church so much in life. We can major or minor issues. See the difference? The standard that I use, utilize was not what you think, it's what the Bible says. What does God say? What does the Bible teach us about this truth? The principle here is this, and major issues have unity. And minor issues have diversity, and in all issues show love. That's the principle. Number two, do you have a biblical conviction about this issue. If you have a whole, if the Holy Spirit of God is whispering into your ear on this issue, pay attention. We all have different convictions based on where, who we are, our experiences, our upbringing, our failures, our successes. Test those conviction against the word of God and the spirit of truth. The principle is, if it's doubtful, it probably is dirty. If it's doubtful, it's dirty. Number three, how will your decisions your decisions and your decision and involvement impact newborn Christians. How would your decision involvement impact a newborn in Christ? What we feel is all right may lead someone else astray. The Pharisees did this with legalism while other people do it with liberalism. This idea that, that we are our brother's keepers. We are our sister's keepers. What we do matters. And it could be that God is asking us to put our freedom that we found in Christ, our freedom that is available to, by grace to us, it could be that God is asking us to put it aside for a second and prefer someone else over ourselves. That sometimes, sometimes something can be right to do, but if it's going to cause someone else to stumble, we should not do it. Oh, it's something that needs to be shouted again and again and again because in the church sometimes we say we're people of grace and not the law and we have the ability to, to lead this way and we shouldn't be bound up. But what about a person that was created in the image of God? What if it causes them to stumble? What if it turns them away from the kingdom? You know what I would rather I would rather give up something that I don't need 
so that someone else can get into the kingdom. The principle is I have a responsibility to others. And number four, will this reflect my love for the Lord? Will this action, this attitude, this behavior that I'm getting ready to do or not do, will this reflect my love for the Lord? Somebody summed it up like this. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and then do whatever you please. Don't miss what I'm saying here. When you and I love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, what we do will please him. Can I say that again? When we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, according to his word, what we do will please him. The principle, I must remember whose I am. And then let's wrap this up. Verse 26 and 29, here's the reward I have for every conqueror, everyone who keeps at it, refusing to give up. You'll rule the nations with your shepherd king rule as firm as iron staff, their resistance fragile as clay pots. This is a gift that my father gave me. I'll pass it along to you and with it the morning star. Are your ears awake? Listen, listen to the wind words. The spirit blowing through the churches. Jesus saying that he's encouraging. He's encouraging them and us. To, to stand in the middle of trials, to stand in the middle of temptations, to stand in the middle of the cause for tolerance without truth, to stand in the middle of that, to stand on truth. Jesus was saying to them uh, in this reward portion of the scripture, iron staff and, and fragile clay pots, this idea that, that what's the trade guilds that you see that seem to be winning the day right now, they're not going to last they're going to be like fragile clay pots. They're going to go away. The things that you're chasing after are going to go away. The, the financial stuff won't be there forever. And the, in the end, the financial stuff is going to go away. But, but stay true to what will last forever. And, and, and Jesus says, I am the truth. My word is truth. And, and that will last forever. When everything else burns, when the great car is out of date, when the stock market goes down, when the houses are sold and all the clothes are gone and all the stuff that we run after is over, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I will be around forever. And then he says, ultimate victory is in heaven. Hold fast. And I love in verse 28, he says, I'll pass along to you and with it the morning star. There's no mystery about what this means. In Revelation 26, 22, 16, Jesus says of himself, I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. So he says to those of you who overcome, I will give you the bright, I will give you the morning star. What he was ultimately saying is there's a day coming when these kind of, these, this kind of compromise won't, be the, won't be the thing of the day. He said, he promises them, I will be with you and you'll be my people and I'll be your God and I will wipe away all the tears of trial. I will wipe away all the death and the pain of disease and you're going to be with me forever. So he says, hold on. So let me ask you a question. How is your balance of truth 
and tolerance going today. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, there's a couple of groups of people I want to pray for today. I want to pray for the person who will say, hey, James, uh, I, I've been on either the, the, the Pharisee side and I, I've been truth, 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 and no love, no compassion, no tolerance. Or, or, or James, I've been on the side of just kind of tolerance. Anything goes. And, 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 and I've been on that side. And maybe today you would say, God, I just need to balance truth and tolerance. And I, I've been on one side or the other. And the good news about the scripture is uh, Jesus comes on the scene and, and gives an opportunity for folks to turn around, to repent, to say sorry, to go in a different direction. And Father, there's some people today that have been reminded by your spirit that's here. Some people listening online have been reminded by your spirit that that tolerance and truth need to be balanced and they've been on one side or the other and they would come to you and say, God, today I'm sorry. Help me. Help me. Help me balance truth and tolerance. Help me be like Jesus, who was undeniably locked into truth, but could do it in such a way that it would be winsome, would do it in such a way that people would go from darkness to light. And Father, there's another group of people here today who maybe are asking like Pilate, what is truth? And they don't know you and they don't have a relationship with you. So today, Father, I pray that they would be reminded by your spirit that goes before that you are truth and your word is truth. And Father, maybe just today somebody would say, I want that kind of truth. And they would know that you are the God who is truth and you're the God who will come in and have a relationship and a God that will change and transform them from the inside out. And as they turn around and repent and ask you to be the truth of their life, you'll come in and you'll make a difference in them. And maybe you're like that today and you can pray a prayer simply like this. God, I want truth. Would you help me? Would you live in my life? Father, thank you for what you're doing these days. <laughs> You're always calling us back. You're always making a way for us to, to equalize things, to, to come back into balance. And so, Father, I pray that it would be said of the belongers of Salem Fields Community Church that, man, those folks know what it means to balance truth and tolerance. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Love you guys. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Pastor James. And as always, we just want to make sure that if you make a decision uh, in any way, shape, or form, we just want to be able to hear about it because we want to be able to come alongside of you and support you because um, you weren't made to do this walk alone. And so we just want to be able to support you uh, as a church community, even if it's just, hey, will you pray for me about this? Uh, we want to be able to do that. So you can just do that by going to salemfields.com slash my decision. Uh, let us know the QR codes there as well. I'll take you straight to that site. Just fill out the form there, and we'll get in touch with you. And then also, if you're a guest, uh, if you just go to salemfields.com slash guest, you can scan the QR code on the screen or online. Just go to that link. Um, we just uh, want to be able to just to get to know you. So there is a connection card there. 
there. Uh, just fill that out. It takes about 30 seconds. Um, and then we'll just uh, reach out to you, just get to know you a little bit, answer any questions that you have about the church. So if you could do that, that would be awesome. Um, we uh, just got done worshiping through song and through message. And then another way that we worship God here at St. Fields Community Church is just through our generosity. Uh, again, just being able to put God first in the area of our finances. And so there are ways you can give. You can go out to one of the giving kiosks out there online. Just click the little green button in the top right-hand corner. Or as always, you can give at salemfields.com slash giving. I just got a couple of quick announcements that I want to talk to you about. Um, one of the ways that you can also just be uh, generous, whether it's with your time or your finances, is we're partnering with Smith Station Elementary School, uh, really just being able to celebrate them and kind of uh, end of summer, but welcome back to school. And so just being able to support them through their cookout. Uh, so you can either donate to that just to kind of help uh, pay for the food or also just serve at it. And so uh, you can go out to one of the giving kiosks, just mark on the other line if you want to just give to that or online, just uh, mark missions. Um, or always you can just uh, sign up to kind of help out at info at salemfields.com. Uh, also, we're going to be needing some volunteers. We're having our big Labor Day fireworks celebration that's coming up on uh, Sunday, September 5th. Um, and again, we're going to be launching our uh, volunteer signups this week, so be on the lookout for that at salemfields.com. And then we'll also be able to have some in-person signups uh, beginning next weekend. Um, then also wanted to let you know that we have a life group that's launching. We are going to have a men's softball team that's entering the county league uh, this year. So if you are a, a man who want to be involved in that, email Rini at SalemFields.com. Uh, and definitely do so as quickly as possible because we're trying to get that uh, together in a really quick time frame. Uh, so again, just email Rini at SalemFields.com if you're interested. And then lastly, we also want to make sure that you know that our learning center, um, they are doing their fall enrollment for preschool and before and after school care. Uh, uh, again, we know that that is in high demand in the area, but our learning center still has some openings, and so we want to be able to just support not only you, but also people within the community. So if you know if they're looking for something like that, uh, encourage them to email info at SalemFieldsLearningCenter.com. We love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you back here next week. God bless.